powerful day. Well, I am, I am so thankful and so honored to be here today. I'm glad, I'm glad God's not broke, busted, or disgusted, aren't you? I'm glad King Jesus still reigns. I'm glad he is on the throne. And today, I am optimistic. I have great hope. Uh, I'll just be honest with you. I'm not easily discouraged because I believe that King Jesus reigns. And I'm not easily discouraged because I believe there's hope in Christ and I believe there is an opportunity every day. I believe the darker the night, the brighter the light. And I believe that in the midst of a deep darkness, God shines forth a glorious light. And here's the good news of the gospel. We're the light of Christ. We get to be the instruments. We get to be the hands and the feet of Jesus and how awesome that is. And, and we talk about this a lot at home in our church. I, I, when, I, when I'm with a group of guys or we're in a small group setting, it really amazes me to think that God would entrust the gospel to folks like me and you. <laughs> I'm like, oh my goodness, God, you're a little bit crazy uh, because I don't know that I would trust me. But I'm glad that God does, amen? I'm glad that he has entrusted me and you. Paul calls it a sacred trust. He said, God's given us the sacred trust of preaching the gospel, the sacred trust of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with a world that desperately needs it. And here's the good news of the gospel. We have the answer, right? The, the, the problems that are plaguing our society today, the issues that are eating away at the hearts and minds of people, we have the answer, and his name is Jesus. And we have the opportunity of just sharing that good news with people. And, and again, what an honor. Pastor David, Lord, thank you guys for, for hosting us and taking great care of us. We, we're going to go home well fed. And uh, so uh, I had my first, uh, uh, the oysters, yeah, char-grilled oysters last night. I mean, two thumbs up from this little redneck boy from Arab, Alabama. I'm like, it was my first experience with oysters. Well, I had fried oysters one time, didn't love them. So anyway, that was... It was a good, I mean, it was like, I'm going to order those again. So that's, that's some pretty good stuff. And, and the crawfish bowl, I was thinking, y'all doing crawfish bowls. We just, we call them, we call them, we smoke butts. Y'all know what that is? So y'all have crawfish bowls. And Arab, we don't have crawfish bowls. We say we're going to have, we're going to get together, we're going to smoke a butt. That's, and that's Boston butt. That's a pig. That's barbecue. That's what they call it. We're going to smoke a butt. And uh, kind of crazy, ain't it? It is delicious, I'm just telling you. So y'all come to Arab, we'll smoke a butt for you, okay? And uh, not a cigarette butt. It'll be good. It'll be, it'll be something worth eating. Well, this morning I want to share with you a message out of the book of Nehemiah. And I love Nehemiah. I love just the, the entire story of the book of Nehemiah. And, and we're going to read a lot of scripture today. And uh, we've got an awesome team back there going to take care of us on the screen if you're going to follow along, if you're a note taker. Uh, and so we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit today about restoration because I really do believe that the best is yet to come. Uh, I believe that God has great things in store. And I believe that the best is yet to come. And that we serve a God that restores. I got to hear some testimonies this weekend of, of the stories of restoration. And I got to hear how God puts lives back together. Amen. And, and all of us here today are really a testimony of the grace of God. We're a testimony of the fact that God can take broken things. God can take devastated things. God can take things that the world looks at and says there's no hope and there's no new beginning and that will never turn around. And God can totally transform that circumstance, that heart, that life, that individual into something so brand new and so beautiful that if you were to see it today, you'd never imagine that it was what it was a week ago, a month ago, five years ago. And that is the glory of God. 
And God is a God who restores. And in the book of Nehemiah, we kind of get to read a story of restoration. If you kind of know the story, uh, the the city kind of laid in ruins. The walls had been torn down. And Nehemiah was the cupbearer to a a pagan king, to a foreign king. And Nehemiah is there. And all of a sudden, he gets word. He hears of the devastation of Jerusalem. He hears that its walls have now been torn down. And it grieves his heart. How many know that we ought to look at America and it ought to grieve our heart? Uh, I don't believe we should be discouraged, but I believe we should be grieved. I believe there's a big difference there. I don't think we should be discouraged and lose hope. I meet a lot of Christians that are discouraged and they've lost hope and they look at the world and they feel like there's no use even trying and there's no way we can turn this around and there's nothing that we can really do. I'm just going to tell you, we went out yesterday and we made a difference. Come on, somebody. Just a few people walking down a couple streets and and Covington, Covington, Alabama, Covington, Louisiana, that's where we are, right? Covington, Louisiana will never be the same because some folks from this church went out and took the gospel to the street and there are some people, Brother Todd got to share the gospel with one of the guys we were talking with yesterday and there was this big old growling German shepherd at the door and we didn't know if he was going to attack us or you know what was going to happen and, and Todd and all his courage and boldness just shared the gospel, the ABCs of the faith and, and just, just laid down a simple plan of salvation. The guy really wasn't, quote, that interested. He really wasn't, he said he wasn't religious and we thought, praise God, we're not either. Come on, somebody. And, and all of a sudden, but we, we talked with him for a minute and he was ready to go and he shut the door and we walked away and your heart almost gets a little discouraged you know because you think well he really wasn't receptive he really didn't receive it and I told Todd the Holy Spirit just quickened me he said you know what tomorrow morning when that guy wakes up you know what he's going to remember he's going to remember two guys that knocked on his door and sowed the seed of the gospel into his life and one day he's going to wake up in his darkest hour and he's going to remember the simplicity of the gospel that ABC he can come to Christ that he can admit that he's a sinner that he can believe in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and he can confess with his mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and he can be saved and in his darkest moment when he needs it the most God's going to bring to his remembrance somebody that knocked on his door on a Saturday afternoon in March in 2022 and he's going to cry out to Jesus because of the simplicity of the gospel and God's word will not return void. And that's the power of what Jesus Christ can and will and wants to do in each of our lives. So I believe God restores. I believe God is a God of restoration. So let's just read this scripture together. We're going to look at a couple different scriptures from Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 4. The scripture says this, Nehemiah, when I heard this, I sat down and I wept. In fact, For days I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. Verse 11, he says, O Lord, please hear my prayers and listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Isn't it great to know that our prayers are not about selfish gain? Isn't it great to know that when we cry out for souls, when we cry out for our city, when we cry out for our nation, that we're praying prayers that honor God? Prayers that delight the heart of the Lord. God, listen to what he said. Lord, hear the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. And grant us success today by making the king favorable to me and put into his heart to be kind to me. For in those days I was the king's cupbearer. Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 4 and 5. The king asked, well how can I help you? And with a prayer to the God of heaven. How many are thankful for those little breath prayers that you can pray? 
Right in the moment, you can just pray that little prayer with a prayer to the God of heaven. He just lifted that little prayer, help me Jesus. Y'all know them help me Jesus prayers? Man, I'm thankful for those help me Jesus prayers. I'm thankful that in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, you can be in a situation where you don't know what to do and you can say, help me Jesus, right? And I mean, all of a sudden, God will show up and God will show out. Things you didn't know you knew would come to your mind. Things you forgot you'd already learned will come to your remembrance. Scriptures that you've been trying to memorize for years all of a sudden will become clear as they've ever been in your mind. And help me Jesus. All of a sudden, he said, and with a prayer to the God of heaven. Listen to what he said. He said, with a prayer to the God of heaven, I lifted my voice. And he said, verse 5, if it pleased the king, and if you're pleased with me, your servant. Let me just stop there for just a second. How many of you know that what we do every day matters? Nehemiah was standing before the king that he had been serving under the oppression of a pagan king. He had been serving this king as his cupbearer. And, and Nehemiah said, Lord, if it pleases the king and if you're pleased with me, your servant. See, I think sometimes we go to work and we forget that how we work and how we act and how we conduct ourselves on our job really does matter. One day you may not be making an appeal to your boss for something as significant as what Nehemiah, but one day you may be making an appeal to your boss for his own salvation. And how you please him as a servant might matter in whether he listens to the words you have to say. Lazy, slothful, slack, laborers in the workforce don't make good testimonies for Jesus. And I think it's interesting that, that Nehemiah, I think, had a little bit of confidence with the king because he knew he had been faithful. He had a little confidence speaking up. He had a little confidence making a request that's pretty outrageous, by the way, because he knew that he had served the king with a faithful heart, that he had done his part to the best of his ability. And he goes on and he says, If you're pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. And Nehemiah chapter 6 verse 15 and 16 says, So on October the 2nd the wall was finished just 52 days after we had begun. And when our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. And they realized this work had been done with the help of our God. How beautiful that is. Man, when we do what God calls us to do, when we step out in faith, when we live the life God has called us to live, guess what's going to happen? We're not going to get the glory He is. People are going to look at Tabernacle Church here in Covington and when they see the move of God that's continually happening, what God is already doing and what God is going to continue to do in this church and in this community, they're going to know. They're going to say, man, that's God. They're going to say, Pastor David, he's awesome, but that's God. <laughs> Lee's amazing, but that's God. Man, they got an awesome worship team. Did you hear them singing it? But it was, that's God. <laughs> that's God. Because when God moves, everybody around us really knows it. I'm just going to tell you, when the Spirit of God breaks loose in a city, in a community, in a nation, all of a sudden people begin to recognize the hand of the Lord on the hearts of God's people. So I love this story 
Because it's a story of restoration. It's a story of rebuilding the walls. It's a story of reclaiming and reestablishing what was. And, and when you think about Nehemiah, Nehemiah's heart was to restore the, the city of Jerusalem to, to, to its former glory, to rebuild the wall, to reestablish what had already been laid in place. But I, I believe the heart of God for restoration is deeper than that. I believe that God doesn't want, us to, rest, doesn't want to restore us to what we were. He wants to restore us to what we've been called to be. See, I don't believe restoration. If you, if you restore, we got to see Brother Carl's car yesterday, right? 1941, maybe? 42. A beautiful, amazing car. And when you think about when people restore cars, a lot of times they, they try to restore them to their original we want to restore this thing to what it once was. I want to tell you something. God, God's not interested in taking us back. God's interested in taking us forward. You know, we're on the other side of this COVID thing. Praise God. Hopefully we are anyway. We believe we are. And, and in the midst of that, in the midst of, 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 of the pandemic, in the midst of all the challenges that it created, you know, people were talking about, well, we just want to go back. We want to go back to, to, to what used to be normal. Or we're looking maybe even for a new normal. I just want to tell you something. When God thinks about restoration, restoring your heart, restoring your life, restoring a nation, God is never looking back. God is always looking ahead to the fullness of what He's called us to be. When God looks at you and says, I want to restore you, God is not thinking about a good day you had in the past. God is thinking about a future day in which He's going to establish you to be all that He called and created you and me to be. So let me just say it to you today, simply like this. If you're looking back, you're looking in the wrong direction. If you're looking back, you're looking in the wrong direction. Doesn't mean we can't learn from yesterday. Doesn't mean we forget the lessons of yesterday. It doesn't mean we abandon those things that have been laid down, traditions and values and truths that have been passed on from generation to generation. We hold tightly to those things. But we cannot move into what God has if we're looking back at what God did. When you talk about people looking back, a lot of times there's really kind of two ways people kind of get stuck in the past. Sometimes people get stuck in the past because they look back on mistakes and failures and shortcomings and they want to go back and redo the past. I wish I could just have a do-over. Let me just tell you, unfortunately you can't do it over, but you can begin again. Come on, somebody. You can't undo yesterday, but you can build a brand new day through Jesus Christ. Because if any man is in Christ, old things have passed away. And behold, all things have become new. And so all of a sudden, we got to recognize, if I'm looking back, thinking, boy, I wish I could just do that over. I messed my marriage up. I messed my life up. I messed this up. I want to tell you something. You can't go back, but you can go forward. You can move forward into what God has for you. And the other way I think sometimes... We get stuck in the past. It's not just by wanting to redo the past, but this happens in church a lot. We want to relive the past. You remember when God did this? Oh, it was so good. You remember when that happened? Oh, I wish we could just relive those days. I wish we could just relive those moments. I want to tell you something. If you're living to relive then you're missing the mark of His glory. Behold, I do a new thing. Watch out, it springs forth, God says. God's got some new things 
He wants to do in our life. God, when He restores us, isn't taking us back to redo or relive. God is taking us forward into the future and the hope that He has destined for our hearts and our lives so we can become the people He's called us to be. So I want to just give you a couple of truths, I think, from this story in Nehemiah when we talk about restoration. The first one is simply this. Restoration, I believe, requires earnest, heartfelt prayer. It all began in Nehemiah 1 when Nehemiah heard about the condition of the walls of Jerusalem. He heard about the condition of the city and his heart was grieved and broken over the condition of the city and he began to cry out to God. He mourned, he fasted, he wept, and he prayed. When's the last time you did? When's the last time you mourned and fasted and wept over souls? Over this city, over this community. Man, it's easy. I'm just going to be honest with you. It's easy to get busy doing life. It's easy to get busy taking care of our own family. It's easy to get busy doing our own little thing, even taking care of our church. Sometimes we get so caught up in trying to keep the doors open and the services happening that we forget about a world out there that's dying and going to hell. Let me just say something to you. That's why we exist. Not this. We weren't saved just to have church services. We were saved to turn the world upside down for the glory of God. We don't exist for this. We exist for what we did yesterday. God raises up the church not so people can have a comfortable place to come on Sunday and enjoy a good sermon and a great few songs. God raises up the church so that we can pierce the darkness of the world with the love and the grace and the truth of Jesus Christ and transform a culture and a community with the love and the power of God that's able to restore people to what God created people to be. And so all of a sudden we've got to recognize, well, I believe that real restoration begins with that earnest, heartfelt prayer. It begins with us beginning to recognize, to weep, to mourn, to fast, to pray over our cities, over our community. I heard a gentleman years ago, uh, he made this statement, a pastor. He said, let me ask you a question. He said, if God answered every prayer you prayed this last week, if God answered every prayer you prayed this last week, would anyone outside your family even notice? Well, it's easy to even get selfish and self-centered and self-focused. And I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for our families. I pray for mine every day. But I just shouldn't stop there. And I shouldn't just pray for my church. I shouldn't stop there. I, I should be praying for my community. I should be praying for my neighbors. I should be praying for the broken and the hurting and the lost and the wounded. I should be praying for those that are deceived and those that are bound and those that are living in bondage. Instead of pointing our fingers at them and saying, well, they ought to change. We ought to bow our heads before God and intercede for them. And I'm, I'm just, let me just confess, I need more of that in my life. But I believe real restoration in our cities and our communities and our nation begins with heartfelt prayer. And it's a, it's a kind of prayer, it's a powerful prayer because, because I think heartfelt prayer, prayer is powerful because I think there's, there's kind of two parts of prayer. There's, there's God's part that we can't do. And then there's our part. And I think restoration begins with recognizing that through that heartfelt prayer, I'm acknowledging the fact that, that there's a part that only God can do, right? Only God can save. Only God can heal. Only God can deliver. But i got a part to play. The Bible says we're actually laborers together with God. We're laborers together with God. And I can't do God's part, but guess what? He won't do our part. 
So I love the fact that, that Nehemiah recognized that prayer was, number one, his part. That's my part. That's your part. We begin by praying and interceding. We begin by standing in the gap. God told Ezekiel, I sought for a man to stand in the gap, to make up the wall, to, to, to fill in the gap, and I found no one. Therefore, I destroyed the land. Let me give you a contradiction of that. You remember Moses? You remember when God comes to Moses and said, I'll just destroy the people. We'll start all over again. If I'd have been Moses, I'd have said, great job, God, let's do it. These people have been nothing but trouble since the day we left Egypt. But God tells Moses, we're just going to wipe them out. We'll just start over. I'll raise up a brand new people for you. You know what Moses says? Moses says, Lord, no. What will, what will the enemies of the Lord say about you? And you know what Moses did? Moses interceded for the people. He stood in the gap. In the story of Moses, God found an intercessor and it saved a nation. In the story of Ezekiel, there was no intercession. And there was destruction. Because God will do His part, but He won't do ours. So I believe real restoration begins with that earnest, heartfelt prayer where you feel it. I mean, we're, we're, we're Christians and we've been in church. If you've been in church a little while, we, we all know how to pray without feeling it. <laughs> we know how to say the right words and do the right things. But we all know when we're touched by prayer, when our hearts are moved. With prayer. And that's what God, I believe, real restoration begins with that earnest, heartfelt prayer. We all know the scripture that says it's the earnest, effectual prayer, prayer of a righteous man. Book of James, chapter 5, that avails much. Second point of restoration, I want you to see this. Is I believe restoration requires an honest assessment. An honest assessment, an honest assessment of our lives, an honest assessment of our culture, an honest assessment of what really is going on around us. Faith doesn't deny what is, it just doesn't stop there. God calls those things that are, are that, that ought, God calls those things that are not as though they are. And all of a sudden we recognize something. We recognize we need to take some honest assessment of our lives. We need to take an honest assessment of really what is going on in our lives. Listen to the rest of this statement. Denial delays the restoration process. Personally in your own life, think about that. Denial delays the restoration process. You will never become the person God has called you to be until you get honest about who you are. You'll never become the person God's called you to be until you get honest about who you are. One of my favorite stories, my wife years ago when GPSs were just coming out, we were having a men's conference at our church, just a local conference with our men, and, and uh, we were gathered there on a Saturday, and her and, and my youngest daughter, Samantha, they were going over to Huntsville, to Madison, to a new mall that opened up. They'd never been there before, so she punched in a GPS. They got there fine. They had their fun trip. They started coming home, and they got lost. And she called me. And she was frantic <laughs> and a little upset. And I'm trying to calm her down on the phone. And, and she said, I'm lost and it's taking us in circles and we don't know where to go and I don't know how to get back home. And I mean, she was not in a good place. And I said, Okay, baby, I said, Tell me where you are. I don't know. I said, Look for a street sign. I don't see anything. Look for a business. I don't see anything. I said, well, until I know where you are, I can't help you get home. Right. See, you got to know where you're at. Right. That's right. There has to be an honest assessment. That's right. 
Nehemiah ends up, if you remember the story, he rides at night and he goes and he inspects the wall. He goes out when nobody else is looking. He says, hey, i got to find out what is really ahead of us. What is the work that's required? Let's get real about this thing. See, I think one of the hardest things to do is for us to get real with ourselves about where we are and get real even in our churches and our communities about really what is happening in our world today. We, we, can, we can read the headlines of social media, but if we'll get real and look at the heart of what's happening in our communities and our own lives and in our churches, we'll begin to recognize there are some things that need to be addressed and until we're willing to get honest about that. Until we're willing to look in the mirror and start with us. And, and then begin to get real about what is happening in our world today. All of a sudden we, we can't go where God's called us to go until we realize where we are. And that's a powerful thing. It's a humbling thing. Year, years ago I, I asked the Lord this question one day. I was in, in my prayer time and, and I said, Lord, I know you love me. I know you care about me. I, I know all those things. I said, but Lord, how, how do you... How am I really? <laughs> I'll never forget what he said. He said, you're sloppy. He wasn't talking about my dress. I'm not near as nice a dress as Pastor David, by the way. <laughs> he was talking about my daily disciplines. He was talking about the consistencies in my life. He was talking about that sometimes I was up and sometimes I was down and there really wasn't intentionality and in the things that I was doing for the kingdom of God he said you're sloppy I'll never forget that day it ch changed my life and God did not love me that day he loved me <laughs> but really what I was saying is God really I, I want to know how I am I know you love me I know you care about me I know all those wonderful things that are absolutely 100% true but how am I really? He said, you're sloppy. I've tried very intentionally since then. Not to be sloppy. To be purposeful in how I live my life. And I, I can believe personally, I've seen the fruit of that labor in my own life. By the grace of God, he has taken me to places that I never imagined I could go. I mean, I'm in Tabernacle Church in Covington, Louisiana. How amazing is this? I mean, come on. How good is God? Eating the oysters. Knocking on doors, sharing the gospel, eating oysters and fish. And goodness, Cajun food is good. Y'all guys. I believe the third element of restoration is that restoration requires a mindset that works. Looking back is memory, but looking ahead requires creativity. Let me say it again. Looking back is memory. It's, it's easy to do what we've always done because that's what we've always done. It's easy to do it individually. It's easy to do it corporately. It's easy to do it as a church, as, as a family. It's just easy to do what we've always done. And it's more convenient to live out of memory than it is to press into God for the creativity of what He wants to do next in our lives. And so we've got to challenge ourselves. We've got to recognize we need a mindset that works. We've got to be willing to do the work. We've got to be willing to pay the price, right? Somebody had to stuff the bags. Somebody had to gather the information. Somebody had to come together. Somebody had to knock on the door. All those things that happened yesterday, hey, there, it, was, it took work. 
I'm just going to tell you, every Sunday morning when you walk in here, this amazing praise team leads us in awesome worship like they did this morning. Man, that just didn't show up and happen. <laughs> it took some work. Some predetermined, pre-planned, preparation, effort, prayer, discipline. I mean practice. All the things that they do every single week to walk in here so we can seamlessly and wonderfully experience the presence of God. Thank you, guys. What a gift. So restoration requires a mindset of work. Looking back is memory. Looking ahead requires creativity. The future requires faith, imagination, and hard work. I love Nehemiah 4.6. So we built the wall. The entire wall was joined together up to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. They had a mind to work. Faith, imagination, and hard work is what it requires to do what God has called us to do. You've got to have faith to believe for greater things. Me, me and Lee were talking yesterday at lunch and we were talking about, you know, sometimes we just kind of get stuck in that rut and we just keep going through the motions. And, and he asked me, well, how do you know when you're kind of stuck? And I said, because you know you're stuck when you lose expectation. You're doing what you've always done, but you're not expecting God to do anything new. That's faith. Faith is an anticipation and an expectation that God's going to do what He said He would do. And let me just tell you something. God's best work is ahead of us. Yeah, right. <laughs> Not behind us. God's best work is ahead of us. Not behind us. And so restoration embraces this mindset of work, this mindset that says we're going to push through, we're going to pray, we're going to believe, we're going to anticipate, and we're going to put our hands to the plow. We're going to have a mind of work. We're not going to live out of the memory of yesterday. We're going to press into the creativity of God for tomorrow. And we're going to put our hands to the plow to do the things God is calling us to do because if I don't discipline myself today then my tomorrow that I'm believing God for probably never going to come let's look at that next thought restoration requires focused attention and determination when we decide to move forward listen to this there will always be demonic distractions there will always be demonic distractions Nehemiah chapter 6, 1 through 5 said this. Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab. He wasn't from Arab, by the way. We've got good guys in Arab. And the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained, though we had not yet set up the doors in the gates. And Sanballat and Geshem sent a messenger asking me to meet with them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But I realized that they were plotting to harm me. So I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work. Y'all need to say that with me. I am engaged in a great work. You are engaged in a great work. Tabernacle Church in Covington, Louisiana is engaged in a great work. You need to know that. You need to know we ain't got time to be messing around. We got to be on point. We got to be on purpose. And we can't allow the enemy to distract us from the things that God has called us to do. We are engaged in a great work. I'm engaged in a great work, he said, so I cannot come. Why, listen to this, why should I stop working to come and meet with you? I mean, we have way too many conference calls with the devil. Yeah, that's right. Way too many conversations 
with the voices of accusation. Way too many conversations with the lies and the doubts and the fears that want to creep up into our lives. We are entertaining the lies of the enemy and the distractions of the devil. And we just got to be like Nehemiah. We got to come to a place of focused attention and focused determination that says, hey, why in the world should I stop working to come and talk to you? Four times, verse 4 says, four times they sent the same message and each time I gave the same reply. And the fifth time, Sanballat's servant came with an open letter in his hand. And verse 9 says, look at this, verse 9. But they were just trying to intimidate us. Imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with even greater determination. you got to understand that when you're doing what God's called you to do, there's going to be distractions. There's going to be all these voices and all these things that are going to come into your life and come into your, into your mind and into your world as, a, as an opportunity of the enemy just to stop the work. The devil just wants you to stop the work and come and talk with him. Let's just stop the work. Let's get distracted long enough. Let's get discouraged. Let's be intimidated by the fact that there's opposition. Hey, there's opposition. There's gun cocks behind the door. There's German shepherds in the crack of the door. There's people that don't come to the door. But then there's Pam who said, hey, would y'all pray with me? And then there's Kenny who said, I'm looking for a church. And then there's Denise who said, I'm looking for a church. And those are just the three that me and Todd talked to. Hey, there's distractions. There's intimidation. There's all these things that the devil brings against us just to keep us from the work. Back home we have a little saying, I don't know if you guys use that down here, but we sometimes pastors will say, you know what, I spend all my time fighting fires. I'm just putting out all these little fires or this little stuff and that little stuff and that little stuff. The Lord told me a long time ago, he said, Keith, your job's not to fight fires, your job's to build fires. Let's build fire. Let's fan the fire of the Holy Ghost. Let's fan the fire of God. Let's stir up the gift of God in the hearts and lives of people. Let's fan the flames of what God is doing. Don't waste your time, quote, fighting fires. Let's fan the fire of God. Let's do the work. That he's called us to do. Amen? Amen. Restoration. Requires us to face our fears. Listen to this little statement. The enemy can't stop us. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Amen? The enemy can't stop us. But our fears. Hear me today. Our fears will rob us of restoration. Our fears will derail us. Our fears will stifle us. Our fears will stand between us and God. As a matter of fact, your restoration, your future is on the other side of your fears. Nehemiah chapter 4 says the people of Judah began to complain. The workers were getting tired and there was so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what will happen, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. And the Jews who lived near the enemy camp came and told us again, they will come from all directions and attack us. So I placed armed guards behind the lower parts of the wall in the exposed area. I stationed the people to guard by families and armed with swords, spears, and bows. And then I looked over the entire situation. I called together the nobles and the rest of the people, and I said to them, Do not be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, 
and your homes. Restoration requires us to face our fears. Your future is on the other side of your fear. As we were talking yesterday at the men's luncheon, Pastor David talked with a couple of gentlemen. One of the guys made this simple statement. It's just kind of, I'm a little afraid. It's, it's scary. It's intimidating. Pastor David said, well, you know how you overcome that, don't you? You got to do it. You got to do the thing you're afraid to do. You got to do the thing you're afraid to do. You got to take the step you're afraid to take. You got to open your mouth when you want to be quiet. And you got to shut your mouth when you want to open it. <laughs> we got to face our fears. There was real fear. There was real danger. There was real opposition. There was a real threat for, threat for Nehemiah and the children of Israel. But he said, you know what, guys? Do not be afraid. Remember your God who is great and awesome. I shared that word. That's the word I sent out this morning to our pastors. I've got a couple pastors that I encourage every Sunday morning. That's the word I sent out. Let's remember, right? we got to remember our God who is great and awesome. When fear tries to rob you, when fear tries to stop you, when fear tries to stand between you and what God wants you to do, you got to remember your God who is great and awesome. And then I think you got to remember who you are and why you're doing what you're doing. Right? Why are we doing what we're doing? We've been saved. We've been set free. Our hearts have been captured by the amazing love. Paul said, the love of Christ compels me. Woe it's me, he said, if I do not preach the gospel. Because I'm a debtor to all men. Because I owe God everything, I owe every man something. Why do we do what we do? We've got to remember that while we're doing what we're doing. We've got to remember what we're fighting for. Fight for your sons, fight for your daughters, fight for your, will, for your wives, your children. We've got to remember, right? We've got to remember what we're fighting for. And so restoration comes on the other side of our fears, on the other side of facing that thing that we have been confronted with. And I can just tell you hands down, I know personally in my own life, every time I conquer a fear, I step into a new place with God that I've never been before. Every time. And you know that's true in your life. Every time you face that fear. Every time you step out in faith. Every time you push through. I love what Joyce Myers says. She said sometimes you just got to do it afraid. You just got to do what God's called you to do. And you got to do it scared to death afraid. Because courage is not the absence of fear. It's the willingness to do it when you're still scared to death. But I'm going to do it anyway because that's what God's called me to do. Amen. Restoration. Look at that next thought. Restoration requires community. See, we can never become what God is calling us to be by ourselves. One of Satan's greatest tactics is simply just to divide and conquer. Separation and isolation are the schemes of the enemy. Isn't it amazing how hard the devil works to disconnect us from the body of Christ? Pandemic was seemingly a big thing, but let's just be honest. Every day we see people get taken out. They get disconnected. They get isolated. They get separated from the body of Christ. And it doesn't take long before the embers and the coals and the fire that once burned in their heart begins to grow cold. I heard the story of an old pastor back in the day in the 1800s went to visit a gentleman in his church who had not been to church in a long time. And they sat down, and when he sat down, they sat down by the fireplace on a really cold night. And the pastor reached in there with the tongs and took out one coal of fire and sat over here to the side and just began to talk to the man. He said as they talked and that fire continued to raise, that coal continued to grow colder, and that fire continued to raise, and that one coal continued to grow colder. And They talked and they talked and they talked, and a few minutes later, 
pastor looked at the man, looked at the coal. And he said, this is you. We need each other. You take the coal out of the fire, I don't care how hot it was, it will cool. And we've all seen it in other people's lives. And if we'll all be honest, we've even seen it in our own lives. You just start drawing back just a little bit. And you know what will happen to your heart? That fire will begin to cool. We were created for community and intimacy. We need each other. The body of Christ is not a luxury that we can live without. It is a necessity that feeds the fire of God in our souls. We need community. And restoration requires that we stay connected together. Because together we win. Amen? Amen. Last thought. Here it is. You guys still good? Restoration requires us to build and battle at the same time. A tool in one hand and a sword in the other hand never stop building. Never stop building. Nehemiah 4.17 says, The laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. we got to build and battle at the same time. we got to build and battle at the same time. And the reason I say that is simply this. I think it's significant because sometimes I see in the body of Christ, I see people that all they want to do is battle, but they're not doing any building. They want to spend all their time rebuking the devil, but they don't ever want to love on a sinner. We got to build and we got to battle. We got a sword in one hand and a trial in the other hand. And I've got the sword because I need to be ready because any time the enemy could strike. But I've got a trial because there's work to be done in front of me every moment of every day. And when you think of building and battling and you think of rebuilding and reestablishing the walls and raising up the things that God wants to be raised up, let me just challenge you with a thought today. I think part of restoration is that as we read in the story of Nehemiah, they had to clear the rubble. They got discouraged, the Bible said, because there was so much rubble to be cleared. They were working so hard just to clear a path so they could build a wall. And I just want to encourage you today. There are some some things, the rubble of our past, that doesn't need to come into our future. There's some pride. There's some jealousy. There's some bitterness. There's some unforgiveness. There's some competition among Christians. There's some crazy things that get settled in our heart that's the rubble of the enemy that don't need to come. We need to purge our hearts. We need to sanctify our hearts. We need to say, search me and know me, O God. Point out anything in me, God, that offends you. And lead me in the path of righteousness. There's some rubble in all of our lives that needs to be left in the past. Put under the blood of Jesus. Come on, somebody. And we need to move into the future without the rubble of yesterday. And then we've got to begin to build. We've got to begin to see the vision. We've got to begin to cultivate the heart of God in the world that we're in. And we just got to put our hands to the plow. We have a little thing back home we call it our connection question. I like to ask people in the church this question. I'll say, man, that's awesome talking to them. Man, how's things going? Loving you, being at church, da, 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 all that good stuff. And then I'll say, let me ask you a question. what, what, What small group are you in right now? And then I'll say, And what team are you serving on at the church? 
Because this is what I know as a pastor, and you know this too, Pastor David. I know that if they're in a group and on a team, they're connected in a way that can keep them growing and moving. If they're not in a group and they're not on a team, their embers are growing cold. I love Sunday morning. I get to preach on Sunday morning. It's so much fun. But the lifeblood of the church is not my sermons nor yours. It's not even the amazing worship that we had this morning. It is the connectivity and the community of the body of Christ coming together in relationship and fellowship around the Word of God and the purpose of God around prayer and communion and intimacy with Jesus Christ. And if you're in a group and you're on a team, then you know what? You're probably burning. And if you're not, you're probably growing cold. And we tell our leaders all the time, that's the connection question. That's how we know, is this person in a healthy place? Because if they're not in a group and they're not on a team, they're not in a healthy place. There's something being, being withheld from their life. There are some nutrients that they need because you need relational integrity and connectivity gathered around the Word of God and the truth of Scripture. And you need an opportunity to use the gifts and the talents that God has given you to make a difference in somebody else's life. And we need that. Amen. So I'm just going to be honest with you. I believe the best is yet to come. Amen. Amen. I believe it with all my heart. And I look at our world with all the crazy things going on in it. And I believe this is the church's finest hour. I believe this is the moment that we have to shine. And I believe this is the opportunity that we have to live and give our lives for the glory of God. See, I believe this. I believe that when, when I am submitted and committed. Submitted to God through obedience. How many know if you're not obedient, you're not submitted? My wife used to tell our kids when they were especially teenagers, she'd say, delayed obedience is disobedience. <laughs> if I tell you to clean your room, five minutes is not clean your room. Give me five minutes. No, delayed obedience is disobedience. I've got to be submitted through obedience. And you know what's awesome? What's awesome about that is God is uniquely working in each of our lives. And what God's telling me to do right now may not be what He's telling you to do. And what He's telling you to do, He may not be telling me to do. And that's perfectly okay, wonderful, and fine. Why? Because we're all uniquely being fashioned and formed into His image, even though we're living in community through which we are becoming who God has called us to be. So we've got to be submitted through obedience, and then we've got to be committed through faith. We've got to be committed through faith that says, God, I believe. There's an attitude of expectancy. I'm expecting and I'm looking and believing for great things to happen. There's that earnest, effectual prayer. My heart burns with expectation as we pray for people and we minister to people that something good is going to happen because we serve a great and an awesome God. And that we're not wasting our time and we're not wasting our energy and we're not wasting our efforts doing the things that God has called us to do. They matter. And I believe. I'm submitted through obedience and I'm committed by faith to the work that God has called us to do because it's a good work. Yeah. Yeah. And we shouldn't stop our work to talk with the devil. That's right. Amen. Amen. 